You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, as we get into the message, we're in part two of our series uh, called Heart and Soul. Heart and soul. If you missed last week, you can catch the podcast, but uh, we're continuing this today. In fact, uh, the the message, the series title comes from this passage I'm going to read to you uh, now, and we'll have this on the screen as long as it continues to work. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 14, uh, verses 6 and 7. Uh, I'm reading this part from the English Standard, and it's, it's a just to set the scene here, it's a moment uh, where Israel is in conflict. They're fighting the Philistines. The Philistines have gathered uh, an overwhelming, uh, lar- significantly larger force uh, to attack and to take strategic points uh, that will prevent uh, the, the army of Israel from uh, advancing and from uh, securing victory. And so uh, Jonathan is the son of the king. He's King Saul is the first king of Israel. His son Jonathan is, uh, is, is uh, on the battle battlefield and he's there with his armor bearer. Uh, and these two alone are about to do something that's pretty crazy. It's a little bit radical. It's a little bit over the top. It's not ordinary. It's not what the average person doing in the army of Israel. It's not the, what the average person would do. Uh, but, but Jonathan is motivated by something. Uh, and, and I believe that, that as we discover this secret today, uh, the subtitle, if you're taking notes, is all in. Jonathan was a man and, and his armor bearer with him who were all in. They were all in for uh, the battle. They were all in to secure victory. They were all in for the purpose of God in their generation. Chapter 14, verse 6, as Jonathan says to the young man who carried his armor, uh, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, these Philistines, and it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Uh, that's That's just a good thing to remember, church, that God doesn't always need, uh, listen, he just needs one. He just needs one to say yes. He just needs one to say yes in your family for your whole family to be transformed by the goodness and favor of God. He, he just needs one person in a city, one person in a nation to fully say yes to Jesus. And then there's no limit to what God can do. He says it's God can save by many or he can save by few. Uh, so, so he tells him, and here's what his armor bearer says in response. Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you, heart and soul. And, you know, let me just start with this, because I believe that not only does God call us to be all in in our faith, all in in our love for Jesus, all in in our, our, the way we express God's love to those uh, in our lives, our families, our, our church, our community, that God calls us to be all in. But let me just start with this, because I think we discover what all in means by looking at Jesus, because Jesus was all in for you and me. In fact, he's with you and I, heart and soul. We love him because he first loved us. That's where it starts. Uh, I, I, you know, Jesus said, I'm with you. Uh, you know, in the world, we, we think about this. We're with people often, or people are with us. Uh, people are with us when it's easy. You ever found that to be true? Like when it was easy or it was popular for somebody to be with you, it's like they're all in. Until it's not easy. I mean, no, life isn't always easy. 
And, and, and so, so Jonathan's armor bearer says to him, I'm with you. Like, whatever's in your heart, let's go. Let's go after it. I'm going to put my own life on the line to, 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 to follow you. I'm with you, heart and soul. And this is important because Jesus is with you and I, and he so committed himself to you and I that he went to the cross. He didn't just say, I'm with you. He didn't just say the words. He showed it. He demonstrated it by laying his life down for us. We say, it's, I'm with you when it's easy. I'm, I'm with you when it doesn't cost me. I'm with you when it feels pleasant. But Jesus said, I'm with you when it's hard. I'm with you when it's painful. I'm with you when it costs me everything. He's with you. He's for you. When I was thinking about being all in, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. One of the places I used to visit uh, when I was growing up was my, I grew up on the West Coast, and uh, one of my dad's uncles, uh, Bill, was, had a property just up on a hill in the hill country in Southern California, beautiful place, uh, and that would be where all the family would gather. Uh, and we would always go around, you know, family reunions or especially Thanksgiving, we'd go over there. And as a kid, I used to love in his backyard, he had this great big house, but in the backyard, it was just huge. He had this field that would go all the way to the edge of the hill. And so as a kid, you just run and play and, and, and I enjoyed it. It was awesome. But uh, one, one time I was, I don't know how old I was. I'm going to hope it was really young because of what I did next. But uh, I, I, I showed up to his house and I saw my cousins out playing in the field and I don't know what they were playing, but I was... I was so interested and I was ready to go, so I bolted as fast as I could from the front of the house all the way through the back sliding door that he had open, except it wasn't fully open. There was a screen door closed. <laughs> and I took that thing down, ripped through that screen door. I was so excited, knocked that thing down. So next time I came to their house, they were prepared. They put tape over it. And in fact, this was a little bit later, and I know this was later because I had a pager. Uh, anybody remember pagers? I was there. This was around Thanksgiving. Of course, you know, it's when it's close to Thanksgiving, especially if it's warmer outside. You try to throw a football around, and uh, you get out there. And so I'm out there playing football with my cousins. And I think I was probably like 13 or 14, and, and, and uh, I didn't have a phone yet. I had a, I had a pager. That was, uh, you know... It wasn't any cooler then than it would be, uh, but but I had this pager and, and it was on my hip and I just remember that because I would I was running I'm going to catch the football and my cousin threw it you know long spiral and and I'm going all in to catch this ball and so I'm bolting and running and not only did my uncle my my dad's uncle have a big grass field but he also had a swimming pool. And I'm running as fast as I can. I got my eye on the ball, and I there's a there's a little uh, low wall, brick wall that I little planter area that I know I need to avoid. So I leap over that wall to catch the ball, not realizing that there's not enough clearance on the other side before I land in the swimming pool. So I, I spent that Thanksgiving a little bit wet. <laughs> I was all in. <laughs> I was all in. And listen, Jesus, here's what, what, here's what the Bible says. I want to I read a few passages quickly for you uh, to express if you don't know how Jesus went all in for you and how he went all in for me. Here's what, here's what the Bible actually says. I love this. It says in, uh, in Ephesians chapter, oh, let me start with Galatians 2.20. It says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
It's not enough. He didn't just give you something from his life, from heaven, a blessing from God. No, he gave himself. It says this, that he gave himself. Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 3, grace you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for you that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and and gave what himself for her. First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself. Are you seeing the pattern here? It's all throughout the Bible. He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Titus 2.11, one more. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself. And he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, a special people zealous for good works. So here's, here's the theme that God gave Jesus all in. He went all in for us. It looked like him leaving the glory and the privilege and the, the splendor of heaven and the worship of the angels unceasing around the throne, that there is no pain and shame and darkness and brokenness in heaven, and yet Jesus left that, and he left it for me. He left it for you. He gave himself. We love him. We go all in not because of some religious obligation, not because of a rule set, not because somebody says we should, but because we first recognize that Jesus gave everything for us. He gave everything. He gave himself. God so loved the world that he gave. We didn't earn his love. Can I just help you? You can't earn his love on your best day. Sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm losing his love on my bad days and I'm earning on all my good days. His love came for you before your bad days and before your good days. And so we can't earn his love. We can't do enough. That's the problem with religion. It's man trying to fix himself, man trying to earn his way to God or to heaven, but, but our own good works are not enough. We aren't saved by what we do. But when Jesus gave everything for us, why did he do that? He did it to pay the price because sin had separated us from God. God loved you and I so much that the sin that had created distance, Jesus said, I want to close the gap. I want to close the distance. and I'm giving myself for you. He went all in. And our response to God, we love him back because he first loved us, heart and soul. We're saved by surrendering to Jesus, receiving his free gift of salvation, receiving what he paid for, what he gave for us. I heard this recently, and I thought it so beautifully uh, illustrates what the gospel is, that, that you and I, because of sin, we were guilty, and Jesus, who was innocent, came to take our, our place and pay the price, and, and he took our, our criminal proceeding, our court day, and he turned it into an adoption day. He took it as the day we deserved the, the price of our sin, and yet he came and turned it into the very day, the day you said yes to Jesus, you were adopted into the family of God. I think we, we, whenever as the church we forget what he saved us from, 
we forget what he's done in our life and how he's been good, then we forget the reason to worship. We forget the reason to draw near. We forget the price that he's paid. The Bible actually says this, that him who is forgiven much loves much. When you realize what he's done for you, when you realize, when you realize the price he's paid for you, Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Not only did he give it all, but he's still interceding. He's still at the right hand of the Father praying for you. He's fighting for you. That's good news, church, because today you may feel alone. You may feel like you're the only one dealing with what you're facing. You may feel alone in your family. You may feel alone in in, in this place. And listen, even in a crowd, you can feel all by yourself. But if I can remind you of anything, it's what Jesus said. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end even to the very end of the age, the end of the world, that, that he says, I am with you. I'll never leave you. In fact, that's a great promise from the Old Testament repeated in the New. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know sometimes we, we, we impose on our view of God what we deal with from people. Never let the way somebody may have treated you in church or another Christian or even a family member or a parent or anybody that you respect, don't let the way somebody else treated you or mistreated you cause you to view God differently. Don't let disappointment shape your view of God because here's his promise, I'm with you always. That's how all in he is. That's how committed to you and I he is, heart and soul. He's always living to intercede for you and for me. Second point today, the first one is, of course, that Jesus gave everything heart and soul. Point number two is lives touched by God, love and live all in. So, so when I know what Jesus has done, when, I know, when I've experienced the grace of God, when I've experienced the hand of God on my life, my response is to love him back. When I really know it and I really believe it, then my response is to worship. My response is to say yes. My response is to, see, the Christian life is actually about, I told you this last week, we dealt with heart issues. And and if he has my heart, he has everything. God is always after your heart because if he has your heart, he has everything else. The heart is the principal thing. It's the main thing. And in my heart, I say yes to Jesus or I say no to Jesus. I respond to him. And all of us have an opportunity to love God, to respond to God, to go all in. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. (laughs) So, So if God is who he says he is and Jesus is who he says he is and what he's done is true, then my only response is to say yes. My only response is to give everything. I love this. J. Hudson Taylor, father of the modern missionary movement, said, many are those who fail to see that there can be but one Lord, that those who do not make God Lord of all don't make him Lord at all. 
What does that mean? It means that when he's Lord, he's the boss, he's the ruler, he's the owner, and I respond by giving him everything. Like he, that, that issue for me, like I, I, I no longer think about like I used to how much, you know, something might cost or how might it be, might be inconvenient or how my, you know, how I feel because I told you last week, our feelings can be flaky. But when I'm responding, when it's, when we're dealing with God, I recognize that everything I have is his. And everything I am comes from God. My family, my, the relationships, it's true. Like everything in our lives comes from him. And so my response to God is, is in response to him first providing, him first loving, him first making a way. And I give him everything in return. This is, Jesus said this, he, one of the scribes came to him in Matthew 12, or Mark 12, excuse me, Mark 12. Uh, and, and it says one of the scribes, one of the religious leaders came and, and he says, having heard them reason together, perceived that uh, he'd answered them well, he asked Jesus, he says, what is the first commandment of all of them? So, you know, in the Old Testament, you had the 10 commandments and you had the Mosaic law that was given, but then the Pharisees came along and added laws to prevent you from breaking the first laws. So it was like, well, well, if, if this is a sin and this is wrong, I'm going to create five other laws to prevent me from ever going and breaking that first one. And so by the time Jesus comes along, there's so many laws that man has added to God's law that people cannot, it's a burden that cannot be fulfilled. And the scribes come to him and they say, well, what's the first commandment? What's the most important commandment? And this is Jesus' answer. First of all of of the commandments is this, hear, O Israel, this is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So so if I love God, it's going to affect the relationships in my life. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. So, So my love for God, my response to loving God is going to and should have an impact on the people closest to me. So, so I, I, can, I can sing about Jesus, I can you know, preach about Jesus, but if I don't love the people closest to me, then is my love for God actually impacting my life? And so that's what Jesus deals with. He says, first, love God, and then second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so the, he says, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all understanding, with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as itself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw this, he answered this wisely. He says, you're not far from the kingdom. And, and so you could sum up both in the Old Testament and in the New, everything that God calls us to is an, a response to these two things. So it's actually very simple. It's first to love God, to love him, to go all in. And it says love him, and it lists several things, but to love him with all my heart, soul, strength, mind, that, that, that I love him in response to what he's done in my life. And, and, and so he starts with this, hero Israel. This is in the Hebrew Bible. This was considered especially up into that time and even still, that that was the greatest statement. That was the, the key scripture of the entire Old Testament. And they called it the Shema. It was, it, was the, it was the key statement that would be repeated and prayed and declared that there is one God. God's not divided. 
God's not, so we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he's one God, three persons. We know that in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there's one God. The, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father do. And why that's important, he starts with one, and then he deals with, because while God is one but three persons, you and I have aspects of our life. We're created in God's image, but you're, you're one person. But listen, you're also three persons. You're like, I knew it. The person sitting next to me, I've, uh, I've had my suspicions. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. The Bible tells us that. There's a part of you that, so, so the moment you leave this world, you don't cease to exist. Are, are you with me? And, and so, so there's, there's aspects of our life. Now, why this is important is because God is not divided. We should not be divided either. And so he says, here's the key. Love God with all of your strength, all of your mind, all of your heart. And then love your neighbor. To be able to love people well, I've got to first know how to love God well. Because loving God, here's the reality. Loving God will affect everything else in my life. But here's what we often do. This is human nature. We like to compartmentalize. We've divided in the last 2,000 years, and this started in the church. We divided secular and sacred. So, so we have areas of our life where we go, well, that's for God, that's holy, and this is, this is for the world, this is for other stuff, and, and that's not the way it works because everything to God, God has created you, he's created your family, he's created, he gave you the ability to work, he gave you, so everything in your life, so we think worship is just what we do on a Sunday morning before the service start, at the beginning of the service. But worship, the Bible says, is what I can present to God every day. My whole life, Romans chapter 12. I want to read this from the Message Bible. I love that this says, verse one and two. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. God's after the heart. I told you that last week. Religion tries to change from the outside in. Jesus changes us from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Well, that's true. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So, so this, is, this is important because it starts with the heart. So if I give him my heart, just like God's not divided, I'm not to be divided. And when I give him my heart and give him my strength and give him my soul, when I, when I start there, see, see in the world, here's, here's our average experience because we know that like there's only so much. I'm finding this as I get older. Uh, you know, I used to be able to do 100% at everything and then I realized like something doesn't get 100% by default. You know, and so there's, there's areas of our life in our experience where we go, well, well to, to give 100% here you know, if I give 100% of my job, I won't have 100% for my family. If I give my family 100%, then I won't be able to do it over. And so we have areas of our life where we kind of compartmentalize and we, we divide it up. But here's the reality. Loving God is actually the only thing that you can give wholeheartedly to and not divide up the other stuff. So it actually makes everything else better. So here's, here's what I mean. I can love God 100% and still be able to love my wife effectively. See, see in, in our experience, apart from loving God, what happens is 
we, we give our attention, our affection to one area at the cost of another. So it's kind of like our life becomes like a pie. We only have so many slices. <laughs> and I think what ends up happening though is if, we're not, if we don't start with God, we end with God. If we don't start with God, we end with God. And we go, well, God, here's what's left over, and here's what I'm content with. And I think if we want to be real, can I just take a moment? This is a little serious, but, but the reason why America is in the condition it's in is the church is in the condition it's in. We're content with how much of God we don't have. We're content with the sliver. And yet if we start with God and we go, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm starting, I'm putting you first. How do you do that? You put God first practically, but it comes from your heart. And when you go all in for Jesus, you say, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm with you, heart and soul too. It enables you to be able to love your family. It enables you to be the husband, the wife, the, the parent. The, I, can't, I can't be who I'm created to be apart from first loving him. But the amazing thing is that loving God, it's kind of like the, 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 the story where Jesus says there's a crowd of 5,000 people and Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to feed them all. And the disciples go, we don't have much left. <laughs> we don't have enough to feed them. And one of the disciples says, well, there's this boy over here who's just got a little lunch. And he brings his bread and fish to Jesus. And Jesus takes that little and multiplies it to feed the many. When we go to Jesus first, here's what he does. He multiplies our capacity. He multiplies our love for people. He enables us to love people that are, can we be honest? Some people aren't always easy to love. It's quiet in here. Some of you are like, no, I love everybody perfectly all the time. But when I go all in, if I start with Jesus, see, why do I forgive people that hurt me? Well, because I start with Jesus. In myself, I don't have the ability to forgive them. But if I start with Jesus and I go, oh, like I've settled this issue. Jesus, I made you Lord of all. That includes all hurt. That includes all brokenness. And I know I don't want to forgive, but, but I gave you everything. And in and, and giving him everything, he gives me the ability to forgive, to release it, to pray for them. And, and, and what happens is when we go to him first, he takes the little and he multiplies it. I'm just going to tell you, if Jesus has your heart, it will affect your entire life and it will get better. He'll, he'll, listen, nobody who has ever given everything to Jesus has ever gotten less free. Usually we're less free in areas we go, well, Jesus, I'll give you 80% of my heart. That 20%, that's for nights and weekends. But when we make the decision, say, no, I'm going all in, and I'm giving you all of my heart. See, the Bible is, it doesn't... <laughs> God's following Jesus is not about perfection, but it's about a heart. It's about saying, I'm giving you my heart. And if he has my heart, he has everything else that, 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 that is needed. And so that's where we start. And I think here's, here's, here's the, the, the problem is when we don't give him the heart, it doesn't last. And we may give him our strength. 
We may give him our mind. We may give him our time even. We may give him our treasure. We may give him all these things, but if we don't give him our heart, it won't last. Because something else will pull our attention. Something else will pull our heart. Something else, when things don't go our way, will discourage our heart. And so we got to start with the heart. It affects every area of life. It makes us, when, when we go wholehearted for Jesus, it makes us a better husband, a better father, a better mother. It makes me a better employee or boss. I love this, Colossians chapter three, verse 22. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. I remember years ago, this is way back. They had a, uh, I think it was for the final four, March Madness. They had an, something like, I think CBS had made this where you could, you could watch the final four, but if your boss was coming by, you could push a boss button and the boss button would pull up a random spreadsheet. <laughs> I never use that. Okay. But here's what it, here's what it said. Now with eye service, in other words, am I only going to be committed when it's noticed? Am I only committed when people can celebrate it? He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Why? Because whatever you do, do it heartily. Listen to that. Do it wholeheartedly. As to the Lord and not to men. Because there's just some stuff in life that people aren't going to celebrate, appreciate. You may not get recognition for. But, but, if, but you're not, here, can I just help you? You're not working for them either. Yeah, I know they sign your checks, but you're working for God. And when you work for God, you'll be a better employee than everybody else. Can I, can I flip it for a moment? When, when, you're, when, you're, when you've gone wholeheartedly for God, you'll love people that work for you better. Because they're not a number. They're not, a, they're, not a, they're not somebody who's just filling a role. You actually care for them. And so whatever area of life God has, God has placed us, wherever we are, we, and listen to verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward. So, so, so we're going to honor, we're gonna, listen, we're going to love people in our life even if they don't love back. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna love our families even when it's Thanksgiving and some of them are a little crazy sometimes. Okay. All right, number three, live like he is with you. And I, and I added this, it's on the slide, but live like he's with you always. I wanna go back to the story of Jonathan real quick. Back to the story of Jonathan. Because I love this. Jonathan's armor bearer says to him, I'm with you, heart and soul. Like I, I just think we should be those kind of people that, that when we know God's in something and we know God's, wanting to do something in someone's life, we say, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to this. I'm going to be heart and soul after this. And, and watch, what, watch what happens. Uh, let's, let's go to verse 8. Here's, here's Jonathan's plan. You know, some of us would be all in, but if we heard the plan, we... <laughs> here's what he says. He says, okay, very well. He says, I'm with you, heart and soul. He goes, okay, let's cross over to these men. Now, now, the scene was the Philistines had secured a garrison. That means they had some troops on this hilltop. And he says, here's our plan. We're gonna show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come down to you, then we're gonna stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we're gonna go up. 
For the Lord, listen to the statement, for the Lord has delivered them into this hand, into our hand. And this will be a sign to us. So, so here's the test. And, and uh, you know, if, if you know anything about strategy, you know this is a bad idea. Because the enemy's on the hill. And he says, okay, if the enemy says we're going to come downhill and attack you in the valley, we're just going to stand there and know, yeah, we're not supposed to be fighting this battle. But if they say come up here, oh, it's got to be God. I don't know how he came to that conclusion. I'm sure his armor bearer was scratching his head too. But he was already committed, heart and soul. But there's something about someone that says, I know he's with me. I know Jesus is with me. I know God said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. It actually, if you live like he's with you, it will change the way you view life. It'll change the way you view your problems because you're not facing that problem alone. It'll, fa- it'll change the way you view a need because you're facing that need with the provider. It'll change the way you face a diagnosis because you're not facing it alone. He's with you and he's the healer. You're not facing that relational brokenness alone. He is the comforter. So when you look at life, you're not looking through the lens of your loss and your need. You're looking through the lens of his presence. And he says, I'm with you. What would you do if you were absolutely convinced that Nothing was impossible for God and he was with you. I think that's part of our problem too is we're not totally convinced. Can I just help somebody? You don't have to be 100% convinced. Just be 51% convinced. Just be 51% convinced. But if you're convinced that he's with you, it changes the way you respond to God. It changes the way you respond to your situation. And he says, okay, if they, here's our test. If they call us up on the hill, in other words, we have to strategically put ourselves at a disadvantage that naturally is impossible. We know it's God. I wonder how many times we evaluate if something is from God or not because we look at it and go, is it easy or not? Is it convenient or not? What if God would call us to do things that are actually impossible for man just to show in our lives who he is? Jonathan says, let's go up the hill. Let's, let's climb uphill. And his armor bearer is like, okay, I'm with you. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine garrison. And the Philistine said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden. And the men of the garrison called to Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, come up to us, we will show you something. And Jonathan said, come up after me, the Lord's delivered them into the hand. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, that's like, as tests go, that's a weak one. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and on his knees with his armor bearer. Like, they can't even walk up this hill. They're crawling up this hill. And they fell, the enemy fell before Jonathan. As he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling. Listen to the statement. There was trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. And the garrison and the raiders also trembled. And not only that, not only were the people, the enemy terrified, but watch this, the earthquake. Can I just help somebody? Jonathan cannot make the earthquake. But God just needs one to show up. God just needs two. He just needs, he just needs one person to say, I'm going to believe and be absolutely convinced that God's with me and my family. And God can change my marriage. God can change my kids. God can change my situation. I just, God's just looking for one person. I don't know. I think the angels, I know this doesn't work out theologically. The angels are like, God, look. Do you see that? Look at those two crazy Israelites. They're, they're crawling up the hill. 
and they began one by one to take out the Philistines. One by one, they crawled uphill. What was inconvenient, what was difficult, what seemed impossible. You're, you're overcoming addiction, it feels like you're going uphill. You're dealing with an overcoming depression, it feels like it's uphill. You're battling some stuff in your family and it feels like it's uphill. But there's something about knowing that he's with you because when you get to the top of the hill, God's there. And he gets to the top of the hill and God steps in. And not only do the Philistines fall apart, the earth begins to quake. And word comes down to Saul, his dad. And I didn't read this part, but it said that all of the Israelites, why were there only two? Why was it only Jonathan and his armor bearer? Because the rest of the Israelites were still at camp. And it actually uses these words, that they were on the outskirts. And when they began to see what was happening and Jonathan and his armor bearer take the hill, there's something on the inside of them that got stirred. And some of us are waiting for others to respond. But if you will be the one, you'll inspire those around you. If you'll take a step of faith, if you'll obey God radically, if you'll do what God's called you to do, even if it looks like it's uphill, others will join the fight. And the Bible says the battle shifted that day as the Lord brought about a great victory. It actually says that. The summary of the battle, the Lord brought about a great victory. God can do anything without you, but he doesn't. He invites us to climb the hill. He invites you to go up that hill. You know, we know the story of Jesus walking on water. But Jesus wasn't the only one who walked on water. Did you know that? Jason, if you want to come down. He was the only one who walked on water. In fact, in the story, there's a storm and Peter's in the boat with the other disciples and, and Jesus and in the storm, they think it's going to take them out. They think they're going to die. And all of a sudden they see a figure walking on the water, walking past their boat and, and they call out to him. And, and at first they think it's like a ghost. They don't know what it is. And then they begin to recognize, oh, it's Jesus. He's walking on water. He's doing the impossible because that's what God does. He does the impossible. But Peter, of all the disciples, does something that's always stuck out to me. He then calls out to Jesus and he says, if it's you, Lord, here's my test. If it's you, command me to come to you. As tests go, that's another weird one. If it's you, command me to walk on the water to you. Like, if it's not, what's his plan? <laughs> if it's not Jesus, it's sink or swim. <laughs> but he, he goes, if it's you, Lord, command me to come to you. And I don't know. This is what I think. I'm, one day we'll, we'll get to see the, 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 the 4K Blu-ray version of this in heaven. But I think there was a, a, a smile on the face of Jesus. Because he says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat. And rather than be overcome by the storm, Peter walks on water to Jesus. And if you know the story, you know it doesn't continue like that because Peter then stops looking at Jesus and he starts looking at the storm. He stops remembering that Jesus is with him. I mean, at one moment he's like, got such crazy radical faith. He says, Jesus, if it's you, I'm jumping in. And the next minute he's sinking and he says, Lord, help me. and he begins to sink in the water. But here's what I love about Jesus, never leaving, never forsaking. 
is he's there when Peter is walking and experiencing the miracle, and he's there when Peter is sinking and drowning, and Jesus lifts him out of the water. And no matter what your situation is today, whether you're sinking or whether you're walking, whether you're crawling up that hill, what do you think? I can't deal with this on my own. He's with you. And I want to challenge you today to trust him. Trust him wholeheartedly. Wherever you're at in your walk with God, go all in. Take that next step. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If we can pray. baseball career ended with t-ball I was a chaplain for a, a pro sports team and I had to put their baseball team and I had to put how much baseball experience I had so I I, I put NA not applicable because I didn't want to put t-ball remember my first year playing t-ball I we were in the championship we made all the way to the championship I was little I think I was like five and apparently, I found this out years later, but I was the slowest kid on the team. But they called me Flash. <laughs> and I thought they called me Flash because a compliment. So I, I, you know, I found out years later, my dad's like, oh, you don't know why they called you that? Okay. But, but I remember this, we got to the championship and, and they announced each of the kids before we played the, the final game. And they called each of the kids by name and then they, they gave our nickname. And I was Flash. So I got out there. You know what I did? I ran. You know when you're little and you're running and you just feel the wind? You feel like you're going 1,000 miles an hour. You're like, yes, this is awesome. And I got out there and we, we played and we won that game and it was great. But you know what I believed that day? I, I, I believed what, what I saw about myself changed. Now, it took 10 years later before I found out they were making fun of me. Anyway, but I believed it. I had confidence. And, and my confidence, thankfully, it didn't depend. Here's the good news. It didn't depend on my ability to play baseball very well because I was on a winning team too. And no matter what life has thrown at you right now, you need to believe what God says about you and the price that he's paid. Jesus has paid for you. And you need to remember you're on a winning team. You're on the winning team. Heaven and earth will pass away. His word won't. His kingdom's not shaken. The world will be shaken. I'm just going to tell you. The world will continue to be shaken. But his kingdom is never shaken because it has a foundation that didn't come from the world. So today, what do you believe? Do you really believe what God's word says about you? Do you believe that he himself gave everything for you? I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We'll be out here in just a minute. Prayer team that's available if you come to the front. Let me just ask you simply, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, Jesus didn't die on the cross for religion. He didn't come to start a denomination or an organization or start even a new belief system. No, he came for you. He came for me. He didn't just say, I want you to love God. I want you to love me. No, no, he first loved us. Our worship, our love for God, that's just a response. 
but he first gave everything. And he's with you. He's with you to the end. He's with you to comfort, to heal, to set free. But what God's after is our heart. He's after relationship. And that relationship with Jesus starts when we give our heart to God. We say, God, I put my trust in you. I believe you. I, I, I'm going to respond by giving you everything. Today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, everything can be changed. Everything can be different. And even if it doesn't change on the outside, what will change is what's on the inside. Because God begins to work on the inside out. But everything starts with a yes to Jesus. It all starts with a yes to Jesus. And if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, I want to give you that opportunity right now. I'm not going to ask you to leave your seat. I'm not going to, right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, between you and God, you say, Brian, I need God in my life. I need a relationship with Jesus. You can be in religion your whole life and miss God. You can be in church your whole life and miss Jesus. Because what the only thing that saves and changes and sets free is when our hearts receive and respond to what Jesus has done for us. And maybe today you need to do that. Say, if I'm honest, things aren't where they need to be with God. Here's the amazing promise. When we say yes to Jesus, he gives us a home in heaven. He gives us a future, a hope. He gives us a, a purpose right here in the world. And he goes to work on everything that concerns us. But it all starts with a yes to Jesus. If you're in here and you've never said yes and you'd like to, I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to not just respond to this message, but more importantly, to respond to God. If you say, that's me, I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you've been a Christian and you've been far from God. You need to rededicate your heart to Jesus. Say, I've been far. I need God in my life again. If either of those are for you, would you just simply lift your hand? Say, that's me, Brian. I need Jesus in my life. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Would you just pray this with me? And I'm going to ask every person in here, every believer in here, pray this with us to encourage those that are responding. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be Lord of all my life. I give my heart to you right here, right now. I put my trust in you, and I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I believe that you died for me, that you rose from the grave, and that you're with me always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close the service, if you have a need in here today, he's with you to the end, heart and soul. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's fighting for your family. He's fighting for whatever you're climbing uphill about. And if you need somebody to pray with you, that's what our prayer team is. We got some armor bearers up here. They're going to pray with you and say, I'm with you. God's fighting for you. We want to pray for you today. Don't leave this place. If you need prayer, don't leave this place without meeting with somebody up front. We love you guys. Thank you for being here. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Be blessed. But if you need prayer, come on down. Have a great rest of your day. 
We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.